Hello, and welcome to the So Emotional Podcast. Here on the cast, we discuss everything emotions through the lens of attachment, the nervous system, and internal parts work. We're a little irreverent and like to have fun exploring the emotional issues and dynamics that interest us. So come along and hang out. Let's explore the fascinating lands of emotions. Welcome to the So Emotional Podcast. My name's Nick Carl here, and I'm with Angela Wetzel. Find her at Epic Initiator over on Instagram. I'm on Instagram at Kiki Narl. I have nice cats, but Angela's got really nice relational and uh, psychology stuff that she posts about all the time, so check that out. Anyway, here on So Emotional, we talk about emotional things, and we dig into them and try to find, through conversation, the the details, so to speak. So anyway, welcome. I think this is number four. I think it's three. Oh, <laughs> I can almost count. Number three. So anyway, uh, Angela, it's nice to have you here. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Cool. You as well. All right. Righteous. Uh, I wrote down some notes today. Uh, we were talking about, well, we were talking about marijuana. Marijuana. And, uh, but first I wanted to kind of lay out um, substance use. And substance use, I was thinking about codependency uh, I was thinking about avoidance and codependence and about why people lean into substances. And so I don't know what, what, what are the common, what are the common things in relationship or why do people lean into those things? I would say in simplest terms, people lean into substances because other people aren't safe and okay. substances can make you feel really good and help you navigate some difficult emotional territory. Right. And <clears throat> just based on attachment styles, just for everyone listening, like I'll just boil it down into super simple terms, but pretty much either people are afraid of abandonment, being left alone and dying, or they're afraid of being swallowed up and enmeshed and losing their own identity. And um, so it's the, either the fear of someone getting too close or someone going too far. Right. That's kind of the, the simplest way to look at it. One's anxious, one, one's avoidant, and you can have blended states. And I think most people have all three types, secure, anxious, and avoidant. So I think most people are disorganized. That's, that's my theory. Right. Um, and so any time you have trauma or attachment trauma, you have an insecure attachment style. That means attaching to people like connection isn't necessarily safe. And when you have those same circumstances, insecure attachment, you have codependence where you have trauma, you have codependence and codependence. If you boil that all the way down are just co-protective strategies. It's ways that we give up our own power under the guise of kindness and protection and safety. And the other person does the same. So there's lots of assumptions being made. There's lots of unconscious agreements, um, beliefs that people have about themselves and the other person will mirror that belief. Like I am too stupid or not smart enough or whatever to get a job. And they are also like, yes, I agree. You are too stupid <laughs> to get a job. And so I will work and you obviously can. And they're like, yes, you're right. I can't. So it's kind of like, um, the example of the jewel, uh, jewel song 
people living their lives for you on TV, they say they're better than you and you agree, that's like, that's an agreement. We're better than you and we're on TV. And they're like, yes, you are. That's kind of like codependence in a way. And I think that one of the underpinning, one of the motivations that's pushing people, why this stuff is so important or uh, drives people into these things is the need for attachment because you need attachment like you need to breathe, right? So here's this basic human need that lives inside of us that is calling out to be met, right? And then these are our ways or strategy or kind of typical strategies to get that basic fundamental need met, right? Yeah. So do you think in your sort of research of what you've seen between being uh, reaching into people and being codependent or being avoidant are more prone to now I said I know like you said that a lot of people are disorganized which is like mixtures of both but is there like one flavor of person who leans on substances more or or yeah totally and I <laughs> forgot to say that so I'm glad you bring it up <laughs> the person who has more avoidant flavoring in their attachment they lean more towards avoidant that means people aren't safe and they will find other things to attach to right like you can attach to mugs like i i can personally get very attached to like items and if they're stolen or lost i'm like i have feelings about it and i like want to buy a new one and i want to replace it and it's there's things with that right Right. when you see the little kids running around with like their blankie or their teddy bear they're attaching Mm. you know the children that um that want to hold on to their pacifier and they have trouble letting go of it. That's all attachment things that you see. And so, um, usually with the avoidant types, it's substances, it's, um, objects, it's processes like being a workaholic, um, going to the gym too much. Um, I mean, it can be any type of control thing where it's like they can feel a sense of, comfort and almost like when I'm in this process, it feels good. Right. Like I feel like a better version of myself or I'm getting some kind of pleasure. It's seeking. It's like all the ways that you can seek safety outside of relationships with people. So the avoidant is going to be like, fuck people. I mean, <laughs> yes, they still will fuck you, but they're like, screw people. Like I'm going to find a way to attach to something that's safe. So that can be animals, plants. I mean, like the sky's the limit, you name right. it. And, uh, I was listening to Gabor Monte earlier talk about addiction and it's like addiction is solving a problem and connecting you with really normal human emotions that maybe you're sort of a little bit divorced from or have, have trouble getting in touch with. Right. So it's like, Here's the thing that I can use that just for the moment sort of solves this issue and connects me with something that feels human as opposed to just being, you know, pinned up against the wall with negative emotions, right? So I don't know that it feels important to sort of like humanize it a little bit. And it's just that like, you know, this isn't some like flaw about you, right? You're not just some flawed individual that like you have this uh, chink in your armor and you're born this way. And, you know, there, there wasn't, you know, you're you're irredeemable you know this is are people trying trying to connect with their humanness trying to connect with emotions and finding it through these avenues right yeah i think people just want to feel good and when you find something that helps you feel good 
for me, like I love chocolate and brownies, you know, right. or like croissants <laughs> lately. I had a croissant today. I had like three, I had, I bought a pack of chocolate croissants from Whole Foods. Um, it was funny because after I had this breakup and then I, I like joked that I had this like love, like whirlwind love affair with like a chocolate croissant or chocolate croissants or croissants. And I really was like going to Starbucks and like having like a green tea and croissants during that period. And it was like something that felt so good and like luxurious and like, uh, you know, just, you know, something. So I, I think all that stuff is like attachment and like, if you like wine and how that makes you feel like you might have a bottle of wine a night, you know, some people that, and, and then you can have like multiple things that you do. You can, um, I've known people that have like done nail biting and smoking and weed and alcohol and possibly sex, you know, like you can do a whole shitload of things. Um, so that, that leads sort of into the next uh, bullet point, which is THC and emotion. So I, for a long, long time, modulated with marijuana. You know, I first started using marijuana. I was like, uh, you know, I had gone to psychiatrists and psychologists and was put on like a myriad of different uh, psycho psychoactive uh, pharmaceuticals, you know, and uh, I probably started that one. At, I don't know. It's tough to remember. I think uh, I was like maybe 22 or something like that, you know, so I'm 41 now. So this is this is a long time ago. But so I went through many doctors and like just cycled off many things. And um, somewhere along the line in there, I was introduced to marijuana. And it it, uh, it was a way that I could just in like little bits really uh, modulate. And that modulation was just like it was, there was a little bit of freedom. There was a little bit of like emotional movement that happened that felt pretty starkly different, you know? And so I used that for like several, several years, you know? Um, the, th the really interesting thing, how it, it turned into was like, actually when I had to stop, because I had to get a job at some point, you know, and I had to take a drug test and uh, I, I quit marijuana. And the thing that I realized very quickly was that I became a real, real asshole when I wasn't modulating i was just i just had a, a rigidity and a solidity and a real poison mean tongue and i i you know it was like when i went after a few people you know that you think that the rigidity and all that was like pre-existing the weed oh absolutely. absolutely or do you think that like having the weed and then not having it also like kind of like yeah. and exacerbated it. Yeah, it, it it did. You know, like I guess I won't know, and I can't know exactly about what it would have been like if I never had touched it or never came in contact and developed a relationship. I know that, like, I was not a uh, enjoyable person or like a happy person, right? And so, and I know that I did a, like a lot of projection. It's just that when that was taken away from me, and it, and it was like weeks in, you know, so I'd come to some kind of stasis, but like I just had a few instances at like, you know, at my house or at parties or something where I just had this super sharp meanness, like, like you real bad. people, like shank them? Yeah, emotionally shank them, you know. Um, but I had done that, and then I was able to, <laughs> I was able to come off 
come off of sobriety, right? And when I, I smoked marijuana, I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was just like uh, the movement and the emotions came back, and I felt like it filled my heart, and it was just like, and I had the thought more than once. So I was like, oh, I just have to smoke pot forever. Like, I have to do that to be connected to myself. Um, Dude, you're reminding me of this great conversation I had with Michelle Ching, and she, I was trying to remember the name of her, um, Maybe I'll try to look it up later, see if I can find her real fast on Instagram. Give me a second. Um, we were talking about addiction, like, you know, consciously using substances. So it's like, I have this whole, you know, my philosophy, right. <laughs> I have my own philosophies on, you know, just substances. Like, you know me, I don't, I don't have Tylenol in my house, you know, right, like right. I, I think I have an antihistamine. Um, oh, you're a big antihistamine user, I see. Well, I, was just, I know, I'm like, the real problem. Um, dang it. Michelle. Nope, I'm not gonna be able to find her. Anyway, so. Well, so we had this conversation about like addiction or what was it? Like, it, it was mostly about just like in like being intentional with your drug use because if you're not then it's i think it's an addiction you know yeah, if, absolutely. if we're not conscious about something yeah and it's kind of like playing it's like you never kind of know what's really going on because there's all these like unconscious things happening yeah. um but what she did share and it allowed like i will say i wasn't always the most empathic towards people that I, I mean, <laughs> I was like raised in the like Catholic church and I was Baptist. And then like, I, I remember when I was in kindergarten and I had this gym teacher, I think his name was like Mr. Like Buford or something. He was like super cool. He reminded me of like, um, the dude that played like the ladies man or something, but he had like a really deep voice. Like that guy didn't have a <laughs> deep voice, but he did. And it was like, I had the fear of God put into me around like cigarette smoking. Like they had the skeletons with like the lungs and like them being filled up with right. tar and right. all these like big models of mouths, just like with the tongue decaying from cancer. Right. And like, I got off. so fucking scared of like any kind of drugs. The first time I ever smoked weed was when I was like 30 four or something and it was after my retina detached and it was because i had developed a traumatic cataract from my surgery and i was like maybe this will help because it helps with glaucoma or whatever and that it like took me getting to that point to like loosen up and actually try some plant medicine type things and i wasn't being super intentional about it but a little bit and um anyway what was my point oh yes okay <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I was able to develop more empathy was understanding that um, you can have something called an anandamide deficiency and um, ananda, I think in like Hindu or Sanskrit is bliss. So it's, you're having a bliss molecule deficiency and so and, and that can come from trauma, I think, and patterns of trauma, like PTSD, Absolutely. right? 
because like if your nervous system is in overdrive and you're just constantly depleting all of your resources all of your like nutritional resources and your neurohormones like you're just running on fumes so if you're gut deficient there's just so many problems right, right. having the understanding that there's just some people that due to all this this like trauma history or whatever has happened to them in their lives where they just don't like see color in the world or they don't feel emotion it's like to me being like oh shit like this is like you said you were like i will have to smoke weed forever but it's like i feel connected to something right and it's yeah about feeling good and unfortunately we have an entire population of people that are in jail just for like trying to feel good and mm. if we're being really honest about which substances are detrimental i think we know alcohol is pretty fucking bad mm-hmm. but weed even though dr um amen has some things to say about how it affects the brain and he says like you don't strictly want to do it forever it's like right. all those things are arguable but right anyway i just had a lot more compassion and understanding around it so yeah to just like say it again like we talked about uh into the strategies, the protective strategies, anxious or the codependent stuff, the original sort of wound is not being able to like fully connect and be secure and know that your primary person, your connection is there, right? And so think about that. It's like you're wounded in a primary thing that you need to be a human and connect with humanness, right? And so Mm -hmm. if that is lingering in your system and in your body for your entire life, then that Ananda deficiency, right? Your deficiency for the bliss of being alive is is totally gone, and and that was something that like when I connected with marijuana, it was like, it was a little so, sort of sparkle. It was a little sort of like uh, like interestingness. You you weren't sure where it was gonna go, you know. And it also just made the emotions flow and to be able to feel, because mostly what I felt before was, you know, it's just pain. It's just like hardness, pain, solidity, bracing, just like defending all the time all the time and so that was and it was like it felt like aha and it it happened more than once where i would take breaks come back smoke a little pot and it was just like oh my god i need i need that whatever that sparkle is so badly right right so fast forward a little bit and like one of the other side effects of like for me and marijuana anyway was that sparkle didn't necessarily last. And when you go back to the same, you know, go back to the same genie and rub the bottle over and over and over, it just became a, I described it like a small room that I, like I had explored the room all and there wasn't anything. And so it actually started leading to anxiety about it. So I essentially gave it up. It was just, it just didn't have anything for me at all. And it wasn't until I was actually helped by somebody in a therapeutic relationship to begin to explore my own emotions that I was detached from for safety that uh, some of the emotional movement or just movement back in my heart started to come back, you know. So, Mm -hmm. like, I was able to get get some therapy, do some work to reconnect with some of those things, bring some of the humanity back, and it just maybe a t- like a tiniest little bit of sparkle back, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But it makes me think about what you said about uh, 
intentionality versus what's the opposite of an intentionality you know like uh, it's like you're you're always going to like seek the water you feel like you're thirsty you're going to seek water so if you're short on ananda right well you're going <laughs> to seek it somewhere somehow right uh yeah i don't know i lost my train of thought but um yeah um i guess I guess. Oh, oh, oh! Sorry, I know, what, I know what it was. It was, it was the intentionality. Okay, and so that's why the thread of consciousness, how we can use our consciousness, is so thin. But deciding things intentionally and and trying to do things in a way that you decide a priori or beforehand, you know, is like really, really important. Because if you don't do it beforehand, if you don't use sort of like your higher mind or like try to connect with something. It just comes from the other place. It comes from the place seeking the water. It comes from the place seeking the humanity, seeking the comfort, seeking the safety. And those are all in, right. inside of us, like in the shadows, essentially, you know. I think Dr. Mate would describe those things as like the difference between drives and inspiration. Right. Yeah. So it's, we have human drives, right? Come up from the bottom. But we're not we're not purely just like human animal, like mm -hmm. we're animal for sure. And some people would argue with that, but we're, we're not animals, but we are we have a lot, a lot of things in common with animals in the animal kingdom and how the, those nervous systems are set up. But we also have the prefrontal cortex and then this ability for like philosophy and rationale and like spirituality and all these different things. And so it's like, our thing is pretty much to like try to find the balance or the place in between probably like satisfying drives and following inspiration, you know, yeah. finding safety and then also discovering and like taking risks. We don't, if you have too much safety, it's boring as hell. And you have too much risk. Then it's just like, there's no safety whatsoever, but you find the sweet spot in between everything. And it's like, Life is so much more satisfying. Yeah. Agreed. I like it. Yeah. All right. So the last thing that I had on my list here, which was, uh, this is sort of a big topic, and this might be a little meandering, but we're going to get into it a little bit, which is uh, the physical landscape of being human, okay? How we were raised, you know, did we have three squares and a roof over our head versus mm -hmm. the emotional landscape of how we were raised. Yes. Okay. So we were having this conversation about, and I know that for a lot of my life, I was the same way too. Like uh, in my times of using marijuana, you know, like it, for me, it started when I was about 17. It's just the cloud comes in and I just am really bent out of shape and I don't know why. Right. And of course, like it ran through my mind a couple of times. Well, it's like, did anything bad happen to me? Well, it's like, I don't think so. Like I wasn't like shot or ran over. Like I had three squares. I have two parents, you know, like like yeah. middle class all the way. Right. Like, yeah. like why, what is this? You know, and you know, like the doctors say, well, it's like, you know, oh, you have a chemical imbalance, you know, it's just a physical thing and you're just, you're just blessed to feel terrible your whole life. You know, just born with a missing chemical. That's right. Just a missing chemical. And that's all that it is. And that's all you need you know, is this chemical just the roll of the dice. And so when people would ask me about, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, how do you think about, you know, 
how was your upbringing? I was fine. It was good. It's perfect, right? But it wasn't until I started to explore and educate myself about like what even is an emotional landscape, right? What even is an emotional garden? What are my emotions? How do I actually need to be met? How do humans need to be met so that they step into connection? Like how, what are the emotional components of connection? How do people see and decide of me that actually allows me to feel safe in my body, in my being, and in my emotions? And once I began to do that, it was like, oh, okay, well, my emotions are, yeah, pretty, pretty backed up, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so, I don't know, do you, do you run into people who, when you ask them, like, how do you broach the topic? Like, how would you begin, how would you begin to, like, introduce somebody to their own emotional landscape because like you know the the topic is you know you're essentially going to say like there's a possibility that you weren't met there there's a possibility that there's a lack there and there's a possibility that it's affecting your life yeah this is like a huge thing because it's like i think one of the doorways to awakening hmm. so something uh, what was the quote the thing that i said and i was like that's great oh, I, I wrote it down Wait, hold on. Do you have the whole thing? Oh, yeah. I got oh, it. I found it. <laughs> the perspective of the unattuned parent becomes the perspective of the adult to their own inner child. Right. And I th thought maybe we fuck with that a little bit, but essentially it's saying when we grow up, if we don't question like the emotional landscape and like were my needs met and like emotionally how was i then we tend to without question adopt the perspective that our parents had so i've heard a lot of people say like oh i was a you know i was a really piece of shit kid like i was a troublemaker and i did this and that and i'm like mm. well that's very interesting you know for someone to kind of like take this perspective and it's like through that lens they view themselves and they view other children also as being um as misbehaving right right so then it's like their entire life is through this perspective of shame mm. where it was like i was a bad kid and it's like were you or were you like maybe acting out because you didn't have your needs met and but it is tricky and the reason why i'm like kind of smiling over here i'm all like oh geez is because it's just like this huge topic of we have these ingrained drives instincts to um stay very attached to our parents like if you don't at least until the age of seven which they say this is where like the seven year itch came from about like human mating cycles and the relationship rupture is around year seven because that's like the year of the viability of the child, AKA and just survive in the world without both parents. You think about the human animal, the brain isn't even fully formed until like 25, which is like so crazy, right? right. We need so like such an investment right. in a human being for like a quarter of your life, like you're still incubating, like you're still like cooking. Things are still, you know, like, 
it's it's really interesting um we're not like other mammals where we have like full gestationally come out we're fully formed we're like hey yo um but it's just like having to challenge that perspective that was never questioned like oh mom and dad were great and like everything was great and it was fine it's so natural for us to and i mean i did the same thing like i used to think i'm gonna be like my mom I'm going to have five kids, six now. Uh, I'm going to be an aerobics instructor or something cool like that. Like she was like, I'm going to be just like her. And then I grew up and I was like, what? Like, I don't want to be anything like her. Um, but that was a process because it is a process to unidentify with your parents' perspective of you and like have your own perspective. And when you have your own perspective honestly, it's threatening, you know, Um, especially for a child to have a very strong opinion or have their own perspective is a threat to the family unit or the integrity of the family unit. Right. Because then you have a child and oftentimes there are children that are very intuitive and that see things Mm -hmm. and they're speaking to things and the parents are unconscious and they don't want to hear about it or talk about it. And then they accidentally or unconsciously will gaslight that child into saying, you're not seeing what you think you see or whatever you think is wrong because you're a child and you're dumb. Right. Children are very aware, emotionally aware, and they will speak about the elephant in the room where adults will just be like, I stopped seeing the elephant in the room years ago. Mm -hmm. And I've also been told it doesn't exist. So I don't speak about it. Right. Right. So breaking that bond, like perspective bond is like crazy huge for a lot of people because it's so natural to put our parents up on pedestals and just be like, they're demigods. What they say goes like, they're amazing. Sometimes they're amazing. Sure. But other times there's a lot of generational trauma and emotional abuse that gets passed on. And then we have feelings about that. Right. And to summarize some of Alice Miller's greatest work is like, hate your parents. Like hating your parents is a great thing to do. It's a great thing to practice. I'm not saying stay there, but definitely make it okay to have angry feelings and hurt feelings about how you were raised. Because that begins to the differentiation process, you know, and I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily that they're on a pedestal. I mean, sure that they are, but it's because yeah. that you need them so much, right? You need them and you crave them and their their uh, their love and their affection and their attention. You you need it like you need to breathe. And so for you to have anything that's contrary to their perspective, right, is life-threatening. It's threatening to your being, right? Yeah. And so to undo that later on, right, I think, that, like you said, it's actually it's actually health healthy in the beginning of the process to begin to hate them because that yeah. will sort of start to reorient your own perspective and at least begin to start to allow room for wait what was my experience what was my feeling was i met there and it's in those places where you weren't met that that's where like uh damage has occurred really that's where like uh disconnections happen inside of yourself and it's reconnecting with those things that's going to sort of bring more piece of your pieces of yourself that were probably lost along the way back to you, you know? Yeah. 
I like what you said about it not necessarily being a pedestal because I think that makes it more clear. Cause like sometimes you're aware that there's things that aren't great with them, mm-hmm. but there can also be a disconnect in your conscious perspective of your parents between that and your unconscious perspective, right? So the unconscious perspective, these younger parts can still think that you rely on being acceptable to them and mm-hmm. agree with their views and <laughs> you know, everything. Right. But consciously you could be like, yeah, fuck them, you know, like yeah. piece so. of shit or whatever. Or you can just realize their, their shortcomings as parents. And yet <laughs> when you're dating or finding your way into relationships, your subconscious is like still trying to please mom and dad, like still finding these familiar, like safe relationships. They're just familiar relationships. That's like in slot A it's mom In slot B it's dad. And then you just kind of go back and forth. Like, you know, so as a child, I, like, I really didn't like my parents. I guess I hated them. Not enough, to, like, like, not enough to get the separation, but part of me hated them. When I was 26, I moved in with a girlfriend, right? And I moved to Wisconsin. I had my car full of stuff. But I couldn't take my stuff out of the car. I had no idea why. No idea why. I stayed there for a week and then headed back to Nebraska where I live. And on this, like, 12-hour drive, I was just so confused. I'm like, what am I doing? I went there for a reason. And she's still there, and I'm back here. Like, I was I was beside myself. I didn't know what was happening. thought I was going nuts. And then halfway home, I decided to pull off the interstate. And just, like, and it happened spontaneously. And I didn't even, like, I, it happened completely spontaneously. But I pulled over, and I called my mother. And I said, Mom, I moved in with my girlfriend. Do you still love me? Because that was on the line. That was on the line in my brain that, like, she wasn't going to love me anymore. Even though I thought I hated her, I didn't, like, care about what she thought anymore. I'm I'm an adult, and I'm just going to do my own thing. And I thought that I was in that realm, but I was not. I was in somewhere else, and the things below were coming up and steering the ship. It was really fucking confusing. (laughs) Isn't that totally wild when you're just, like, the conscious part of you has, yeah, has one perspective. And then you're, like, something else entirely is going on behind the scenes and they are not in agreement yeah it was it was absolutely wild and uh kind of it kind of fucked me up a little bit you know it fucked me up a lot but it was just it was to me later on like seeing it it's like okay yeah it's like i am desperately wanting the approval of my mother desperately like it matters to me like life and death i will not unpack that car i will not go somewhere where it's going to like disappoint her or that she's not going to look upon me Uh, with disappointment like that, even that to this day, like, you know, just the thought of that, like just kills my insides, you know, because I desperately need it. I need it. Right. Because there's a part of you, younger part of you. That's like, I will die without her love and approval. I will certainly die. And it's just interesting because that loyalty, that unconscious parental loyalty can go so deeply And just, you were making me think of, um, I started noticing this pattern with guys that I would date and they would often have a mother that was like a martyr. Like she was the victim and the dad was like the asshole that would like have left her and she was totally helpless. And I was like, what 
is this? You know, I'm like, I've seen this before, but I'm like, you know, how am I playing into this thing? And I had like a similar dynamic kind of, I mean, it wasn't like a mirror, but it was like a fun house mirror of this kind of energy where dad is definitely the bad guy. Mom is definitely the good guy, good person. And needed to be rescued. So there was like a hero complex. So I had my own hero complex and I was attracted to others that had the same hero complex. And so I would subconsciously allow myself to be recruited into this situation where I could assist them in rescuing. Right. Right. Which was me trying to save my mother, which was my safer parent through my relationships. I've never said this clearly as I've said it right now, (laughs) but yeah, it was that. And I was the second time around when I saw it, it felt to me like this giant fish hook in my solar plexus. And I just felt like I was being pulled towards it. And it literally felt like addiction. And Mm. I was, shit, this is so real. Right. I, at least I had enough, um, intellectual, like I I had enough understanding of being able to witness this thing that was happening and know that the pattern was there in order to be like, Oh no, I have to like cut this. I cannot do this relationship again. I've already done it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a really painful lesson, but the second time around, I was really happy. I like caught it by some miracle and um and that's why like support is so important like the growing the awareness around these things and then also like like without therapy around that time when all this stuff was coming out like i've had so many different therapists and the experience was different with all of them and different types of therapy but like i can't imagine just like trying to to navigate all of this stuff without without support. Yeah, so I I think these two stories are just uh, like examples of the power that the emotional landscape had, right? Because you had had squares, right? You had square meals, you had meals, you had a roof, you had school, right? Do you have a bicycle, right? Yeah, I did. Different, yeah, I had decent clothes. I looked, well, I mean, at one point, my dad took me shopping and I was like living out my clueless fantasy. I wanted to be like Alicia Silverstone. Yeah. Clueless. Um, and it's interesting because I, I think it was 14, 15. And I was also thinking about the story because of that. At one point, I was standing in my mirror and I had my hairbrush and I kept smashing myself in the face with it like right here on my bone I was trying to give myself a black eye and I had no idea why no idea why until later and I I stopped because I was like oh it's a lot of work and (laughs) whatever it's probably hard to give yourself a black eye it's pretty hard like you have to you you probably have to run into something like yeah like a doorknob or I don't know. But still. But still, I was trying and I didn't fully understand it. I don't even know if I was able to question it at that time. And later on, I was looking back at it and I was like, 
what on earth? And then I have so much more understanding now. And it was because the three square meals a day, house, you know, normal, like normal household. Yeah. Like I'm thinking all households are like this. Everyone has this kind of drama. I wouldn't view it as drama. I was like, this is, these are what families are like. Right. Everyone's got some version of this and it's more or less true, but it, you know, it, it's all varying degrees of functional and not functional, but my emotional landscape, like I was in turmoil and I had no idea how to express it, mm. that I was being emotionally abused, mm. albeit not intentionally, Right. but I was being abused emotionally and neglected and all kinds of things. And I needed something external to showcase my pain because I wanted someone to ask me if I was okay. Right. Right. And, but I didn't even piece that together until like years and years and years later. And, um, I wrote a blog. I don't even think I published that blog yet, but it's one of my many unpublished works. <laughs> so many. Um, so it's one yeah. landscape so distressed and so distraught reaching through the ether into the other dimension of I need people to see what's happening inside yeah. of me desperately that I will smash my own face. So yeah. that you see. right. Right. And not even knowing what that was or understanding it. And also at that time, just being like, huh, and going about my business, you know, like that's how disconnected I was. Right. I didn't, I had no idea I was that disconnected and I was so emotionally numb, but I never, no one, I don't think anyone would have been like, you're emotionally numb unless they were really adept. Right. Um, maybe just because like, is anybody in your house adept? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, well, and then I was thinking like the outside world, but surely people that are more adept would have noticed. Right. So that's probably, I don't know. I'm like trying to think back to that perspective, but the reason why it was not clear to me was because I had been acting since I was a child, like a small child. And I was like, clearly so very emotional, you know, but it was like, I was using the acting as uh, like masks and I would use costumes and characters and all kinds of things. So I could express, and find some kind of catharsis that was like safe and it, I wouldn't be wrong or punished for it. And so acting was the thing that I went into and I still love it, but it came from a, a love thing, but also like a need to survive mm -hmm. and to feel so. Pretty cool. Yeah. All right. I dig it. What do you think? Should we wrap this up? Yeah, I don't know how long we've been talking, but yeah. Um, I don't really know either. It's like 30 or 40 minutes, but I like it. Anyway, this has been So Emotional. My name's Nick Carl. Find me at gnarlkick on Instagram. Angela Wetzel, that's Epic Initiator, right? Yes. And uh, we'll come back, come back and hang out with us more, and we'll get into other topics such as these and more. And... Uh, Give us a comment or a question, and maybe we'll uh, talk about those, right? Yeah. Anything else? All right, cool. Oh, I think that's it.
All right. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Angela. We'll see you later. Bye.